0: Unbelievable Truth, the panel game built on truth and lies. In the chair, please welcome David Mitchell.
1: Hello, and welcome to The Unbelievable Truth, the panel show about incredible truths and barely credible lies. I'm David Mitchell. Yes, it's half an hour of barefaced lies mixed with occasional truths in a way not seen since the last White House press conference. <laughs> Was mixed with occasional truths. <laughs> I've got four comedians who are ready to let rip, so let's get on with it before it becomes unsavoury. Please welcome Richard Osman, David O'Doherty, Zoe Lyons, and Marcus Brigstock. The rules are as follows. Each panellist will present a short lecture that should be entirely false, save for five hidden truths which their opponents should try to identify. Points are scored by truths that go unnoticed, while other panellists can win points if they spot a truth or lose points if they mistake a lie for a truth. First up is David O'Doherty. David, your subject is bicycles, described by my encyclopedia as a two-wheeled vehicle usually propelled by two pedals connected to the rear wheel by a chain. Off you go, David. Fingers on of the rest of you. The
2: first cyclist bamboozled passersby who presumed some kind of sorcery was at work. Nobody could explain how the bicycle stays upright. I must... Marcus. I
0: think that that's true. I, I think the first people to see a bicycle would be astonished by it, and I say that with some confidence, cos even now I often look at them and simply
1: pass out. <laughs> <laughs> Well, astonished is one thing. Presuming some sorcery was at work is another. And All I right, think...
0: well, I'll go further and say I'm assuming it's sorcery
1: then. <laughs> I think when you see a bicycle, you imagine that the reason it stays upright is something to do with forward momentum rather than sorcery.
3: Is that what it is?
1: Yeah, well, it's like... <laughs> I mean, I'm only guessing. I've yeah. never checked. Yeah. But, you know, like, like a plate can roll on its side for a bit. It's like that, that someone's keeping in control
4: of it. Oh. See, plates, they are sorcery. That was magnificent Uh, Brilliant David
2: Nobody could explain how the bicycle stays upright And modern physics still can't explain it (sighs) Marcus
0: That is true What is? That modern physics still cannot
1: explain how the bicycle stays upright Correct (laughs) I told you it was sorcery Yeah Um (laughs) uh, Yes, New New Scientist magazine reported that in 2011 an international team of bipedal enthusiasts dropped the bombshell that despite 150 years of analysis, no one knows how a bicycle stays upright. Nine Times Tour de France winner Chris Froome
2: maintains the secret is never pausing to think about how you can hurtle Denimagine imagine at 70 miles per hour on a bunch of pipes and some rubber, because the magic might go (laughs) (laughs) nay-nay. Froome, incidentally, is the first Tour de France winner whose name sounds like a bicycle going fast. <laughs> <laughs> Since Alberto Hoosh in 1954, <laughs> and before him in 1930, Jerome Nyong. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Marcus. I'm
0: having a go at Jerome Nyong. <laughs> I
2: <Nope>. think
0: maybe, <laughs> maybe there was a. Su- I've lost confidence in this now. <laughs>
1: Jerome Neon didn't exist. The
2: giveaway for me was that the six N's in his name. (laughs) The early years of cycling were incredibly noisy because the old rattle traps were such a danger to the public, a marching band was required to precede every cyclist playing suitably ominous music. This was later downsized to a single bell which the law required the cyclists to ring constantly as they cycled along. (sighs) Marcus.
0: I've seen old films and that was definitely a law. Correct. Yes. <laughs> in, uh,
1: in 1888, the bicycle was officially recognised in law as a carriage and formally allowed to use the roads. This same law required them all to be fitted with a bell which was to be continually rung whilst the bicycle was moving. And that last bit of the law was not repealed until 1930.
2: Victorian doctors were eager to point out the dangers of cycling, particularly to women, with warnings that pedalling-induced chronic flatulence known as saddle wind and bicycle face,
4: thought to permanently give riders a jutting chin and bulging eyes. (laughs) Richard. Uh, I'm going to go for the saddle wind, Victorian physicians and women. No, saddle (laughs) wind was was never (laughs) suspected. Um, (laughs) I mean, if
2: anything, the danger there would be it might propel you to go faster. Yes. As, as an example of the dangers of cycling, avid cyclist and children's author A. A. Milne swallowed two bees while on a ride in Devon in 1912, and the insects took up residence in his left lung. Weeks later, he began coughing up honey. <laughs> and the situation.
3: <laughs>
1: no, Marcus. <laughs> didn't swallow two bees while cycling in Devon. Weeks later, he began
2: coughing up honey and the situation was only rectified at the local hospital with staff member (laughs) Dr. Tigger Piglet who (laughs) recommended Milne should do a big poo. (laughs) Incidentally, it was Dr. Tigger Piglet who discovered poo sticks. (laughs) Cheating has never been a big part of bicycle racing. (laughs) However... Belgian Henri Lavigne holds the dubious honour of being the first rider to be disqualified from the Tour de France for
1: cheating. Zoe,
3: that has a ring of truth about it. I'll let David tell
1: you the nature of his alleged cheating. In 1927, and just so you have said
2: that this is true, so you're know, yep. accepting whatever I'm about to say. <laughs> he painted a horse to look like a bike. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I Wait stand by that. I think that could be true. Well, that he could be he true.
0: literally made the magic go nae-nae. <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> um,
3: plausible
1: though that sounds, I'm afraid that's not true. The first disqualifications from the Tour de France were in the second ever tour in 1904, where nine riders were excluded because of, among other actions, illegal use of cars or trains. LAUGHTER One of the lesser-known perks of becoming president of America
2: is that you get to ride around the White House on a tricycle known as Air Force Three. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Clinton, who himself only learned to cycle at the age of 22, negotiated the 1994 NAFTA agreement while pulling wheelies around the
4: Oval Office. Richard. I think Bill Clinton learned to ride a bike at 22. You're right, yes. Um... He didn't
1: learn to ride a bike without training wheels until he was 22.
2: Scientists at Dutch universities have been working on the theory of asexual bicycle reproduction to account for the build-up of bicycles in sheds during the winter and attached to lampposts near train stations. There are reckoned to be 100,000 more bicycles than people in Amsterdam at
1: the moment.
3: Zoe. I've been to Amsterdam and I have tried to cross roads, and I would say that is true. There are a lot of bikes in Holland.
1: You are absolutely right. Yes. <laughs> the estimates are that there are over 800,000 people in Amsterdam, but over 900,000 bicycles. There are currently
2: proposals before the Dutch Parliament to begin sterilising feral bicycles <laughs> by <laughs> snipping their main
1: cables. Thank you. Thank you, David. At the end of that round, uh, David, you've managed to smuggle one truth past the rest of the panel, which is that Victorian doctors thought there was uh, such a thing as bicycle face. Um, <laughs> as the bicycle became popular in the late 1890s, doctors warned that, especially among women, cycling could lead to bicycle face, <laughs> characterised by a hard, clenched jaw and bulging eyes. A German philosopher claimed that the condition drained... <laughs> every vestige of intelligence from the sufferer's appearance and rendered children unrecognisable to their own mothers. <laughs> uh, and that means, David, you've scored one point. <laughs> OK, we turn now to Marcus Brigstock. Marcus, your subject is wine, an alcoholic drink made from fermented grapes. Off you
0: go, Marcus. Wine. All wine comes from France, where it's compulsory for French children above the age of four to have wine with every meal. In Paris, it's not uncommon to have Beaujolais Nouveau on sugar puffs, and mums will very often soak a rusk in Chardonnay for their infants to suck on if they get withdrawals.
4: (sighs) Richard? I wonder if they do put rusk in Chardonnay. Yeah, it sounds like
2: in
1: Ireland, where if a baby's crying, you give them a bottle of Baileys. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I, I mean, it may have happened, but I don't think it's a common practice. Uh,
3: Sounds mm. nice, though, doesn't
1: it? After all my gigs, I have a thing called a shabliga,
2: which is shabli mixed with liga. It's a similar mixer, liga. Do you, oh, my
1: what's, what's liga? What's liga?
2: Liga um, is, is a baby thing you soak in milk. Like a rust? Like a like rust? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well As I was imagining saying that, I was imagining getting a big international award for how
1: funny that joke was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but your, your only mistake was to invent a new word for rusk. Liga. I've never heard the term liga for a sort of baby rusk. Is anyone here? No. No. LAUGHTER
0: in fairness, this audience are hardly tuned in. I saw two of them having a Weetabix soaked in port only, <laughs> only moments before we began.
3: Yeah,
1: you see, David, Weetabix, that exists.
4: <laughs> David, after every gig, I like to have a chablita
1: <laughs> And the, the, the bitter irony, David, is that's the only bit that'll be used. <laughs> <laughs>
0: French vineyard workers have to observe strict protocols. They must scrape soil from their boots in case removing it from the field spoils the next batch.
4: Richard. The, the, the soil.
1: Yes, they must scrape the soil from their boots in some cases. The dirt in one of Burgundy's top vineyards, Clos de Vougeot, is considered so precious that vineyard workers are required to scrape it from their shoes before going home each night.
0: Uh, drinking one glass of wine makes us more attractive to other people, unless they're the vicar and we're expecting to share it with everyone seeking to take communion.
2: David. People are more attractive after... what? Some test has been done. The University of Blumen Tampa have done a test and
1: people are more attractive after one drink. Um, if by Blooming Tampa you mean Bristol, <laughs> then, <laughs> then you're absolutely correct. Yes, a University of Bristol... A University of Bristol study found that drinking one glass of wine makes us more attractive to the opposite sex. However, the effect disappears when more is consumed.
3: Does it cancel out if the viewer has had one glass of wine as well? And then does it go back to zero and then the the person being observed? So you have to stay one glass of wine ahead of the person that you That's very handy to know. Thank
0: you. (laughs) Unlike wine, I improve with age. Most wines do not. Richard. Most wines do not improve with age. That's true. Well done. Chateau Lafitte gets its name from the process of grape treading, using, as the French call them, Lafitte. (laughs) King James I gave his pet elephant a gallon of wine a day, and Mary, Queen of Scots, forced gin and barley wine down her Pomeranian.
2: David. When's the, well, I don't know when your kings were. When was, th- when was that King James?
1: He, that, he was uh, in the early 17th century, so
2: 1603. He, yeah, he... I'll give him an elephant, mm-hmm. and then I'll also put a load of booze into that elephant every day.
1: Well, that's exactly what happened. Well yeah. done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, yes, the, the elephant was a gift from Philip IV of Spain. It came with instructions that it was to drink no water between September and April, only wine. As a result, it cost £275.12 and shillings a year to maintain, which is the equivalent of about three quarters of a million pounds today.
0: <laughs> Snaky wine is the world's second most popular drink after WKD Blue. <laughs> Such is the spiteful nature of snakes that even after they've been pickled to death in rice wine, they can launch a sneak attack, as a woman discovered when she was bitten right in the Shuangcheng region by the pickled snake <laughs> lurking in her
4: drink.
2: David. Uh, I'm going to say the, uh, that there are snakes that are staying alive in wine and then attacking people uh, through through the... What do what, what, what you call that, when you, your nerves
1: are still going? You've put this so crisply, I can barely keep up. <laughs> but I think what you're saying is that you believe that the woman was bitten by the snake from the wine. Yeah, definitely. You are right to believe that, for it is true. <laughs> She'd opened a bottle of pickled snake wine, medicinal wine she was taking to treat her rheumatism when the snake sprung out from the bottle and bit her on the hand. It had miraculously managed to stay alive despite marinating for three months in rice wine. (laughs) I'm being treated like a Weetabix, it said, (laughs) and the lady laughed because Weetabix exist. (laughs) And that's the end of Marcus's lecture. And at the end of that round, Marcus, I'm afraid you've managed to smuggle no truths past the rest of the panel. So you scored no points. Next up is Zoe Lyons. Zoe, your subject is trees, tall perennial plants with elongated stems or trunks supporting branches and leaves. Off you go, Zoe.
3: Trees are very private organisms and will try and shy away from publicity The Joshua Tree, featured on the U2 album cover, attempted to sue the band for use of its image without its written consent. (laughs) Years later, the same tree tried to sue the band for sending it an unwanted copy of their album on
4: iTunes.
3: (laughs) During the time of the Roman Empire, young gladiators would eat the bark of the cypress tree as they believed it to be an aphrodisiac, and this is where the expression, to get wood, comes from. (laughs) Trees aren't just a turn-on for humans. Moose orgasm by rubbing their antlers on trees. Bears get off by rubbing their backs. And we all know...
2: <sighs> Marcus. I've seen bears do that. <laughs> what, well, are they getting off on us, or are they just scratchy? You know, well, that's the key distinction. Have They're you on... seen the
1: documentary film The Jungle Book? LAUGHTER <Yeah. laughs> I think bears manage to scratch their backs by rubbing their backs against trees, but I don't think and that's that... different, is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think oh, I mean, it's not nice... much to learn. Yeah. <laughs> it's Richard. Well How about the moose then? The moose is right. Yeah. <laughs> it's been observed that moose and caribou achieve sexual gratification by rubbing their antlers on trees.
3: Trees have been known to cough, burp, and even sneeze, which can be exhausting. So trees sleep at night to rest their branches.
1: Marcus, I think, in a sense, I think that trees do sleep at night I they think. do in a sense, yes, they yeah. do yeah, in a sense, they do. Mm. They relax their branches at night, which scientists say may be a sign of sleeping.
3: Siberian Christmas trees are never brought indoors where they will melt, although outside they can get so cold, they turn to glass
1: <laughs> marcus
0: oh i 'm so buzzy. Uh- I, think I thought you'd be coming down by now. No. <laughs> I think that Siberian Christmas trees are not brought indoors.
1: Uh, see, now that I say <laughs> melt, it... Though, because they melt. I mean, that's... A Christmas tree, by definition, is in many ways a tree that has been brought indoors, or at least decorated. <laughs>
2: then Lord Daltonworth, that's what I call myself, will uh, leap in there and put forward the theory that they turn to a glass-like state, in minus in 60 in Siberia. ...turns wood into glass, so I'll have a point for that,
1: thank you. (laughs) You know, the terrible truth is you you will get a point for that. (laughs) Yes, the temperatures in the forests of Siberia regularly fall to minus 60 degrees Celsius, and in order to survive... I made up that number! (laughs) (laughs) That's the number on the sheet! In order to survive, the tissues of a Siberian tree will turn to a solid, crystalline structure, just like window glass, but made of sugars, protein and water molecules.
3: One in six children think that broccoli is a baby tree, and one child in ten believes that elm tree is a huge stick of celery.
4: Richard. The facts about children thinking broccoli are tiny trees.
1: You're right. They do, yeah. <laughs>
3: hey,
1: yes, sir. A 2005 survey of 1,000 primary school children identified what it described as a worrying lack of knowledge about <laughs> where food comes from, <laughs> with two-thirds of children not eating the recommending portions of fruit and veg and one in six children thinking that broccoli were baby trees.
3: Ten trees were needed to make the paper to print the 2013 report on the environmental impact on the HS2 rail scheme. Luckily, all ten trees were on the proposed route, so they had to come down anyway.
1: LAUGHTER
0: Marcus. I think that's true about the number of trees needed to print the, uh, the thing.
1: You're right, it is true. <laughs> the, the report ran to 50,000 pages and weighed more than half a tonne, so it required ten trees to make the paper to print it. Thank you, Zoe. <laughs> and um, you've smuggled none, none through the rest of the panel, I'm afraid, uh, which means you've scored no points. Next up is Richard Osman. Your subject, Richard, is chocolate, a food made from roasted and ground cacao seeds, typically sweetened and eaten as confectionery. Off you go, Richard.
4: Everybody in the whole world likes chocolate. It is universally acknowledged as just so totally amazing, except dark chocolate, which is for people who don't actually like chocolate. (laughs) White chocolate, which, let's be honest, might as well just be yoghurt. And American chocolate, which is made from vomit and Donald Trump's secret tears. (laughs) (laughs) Zoe?
3: I believe that could be true, actually, (laughs) because I've had American chocolate and it really is the most disgusting thing you've ever tasted in your entire life. I'm I'm prepared to believe it is made out of bits of ground-up Donald Trump.
1: As far as I know, Donald Trump, neither him nor his tears have been made into chocolate, but, you know, if... Fake
3: news, David, that's fake news. uh,
1: When this show started, the whole point of truths and lies, it was quite a jolly area. Mm. (laughs) Now it's deeply dark and
4: totalitarian. (laughs) 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 The most important thing to know about chocolate is that the actor Woody Harrelson used to keep M&Ms on his bedside table because he thought if they were still there in the morning, it meant that the vengeful ghost of Abraham Lincoln had not visited in the night. David. Harrelson famously
2: believes he's pursued by dead American presidents, so there's nothing wrong with that statement.
1: It's not true. That's that's the flaw. I've I've done
2: so well in this episode so far, (laughs) I really thought I had the golden touch.
4: I could just make things true by saying it assertively enough, and it's been proven to be wrong. Uh, Of the many chocolate bars to have rebranded over the years, Kit Kats were originally called Cat Kits, Rolos were Chocolate Pockets, Toblerone used to be called Dr. Schnitzel's Chocolate Mountains. (laughs) Fun-Size Mars used to be Fun-Size Uranus. (laughs) Snickers were originally called Marathon. and Marcus, that is definitely true. I remember them.
1: No. No. (laughs) No, Snickers weren't originally called Marathon. They were originally called Snickers when they were launched in the USA and then were launched in the UK subsequently as Marathon, which was then renamed as Snickers. Oh, I hardly think that's fair. But it's, uh, it's, look, it's No, I mean, if you're going to start basing yeah.
0: things on stuff that's happened elsewhere,
1: yeah. it's, it's not really in look, the spirit of Brexit, is it? I, <laughs> I'd be the first to admit it's not in the spirit of Brexit. It,
4: it's dirty Doesn't
0: play.
1: It.
4: So they
0: were always Snickers in America?
4: Yes, Snickers was, it was named after the farm horse on the Mars farm. Is that right? And they Don't called it Marathon over here because they wanted the people to think it was a health bar.
0: In a way, <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's got peanuts in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Disgusting. Mm. Like a Mars bar with a dirty secret that will kill one in 40 children.
1: <laughs> <laughs> David, Kit Kats were originally called Cat Kits. They weren't. Oh. <laughs> they, they were originally launched as Roundtree's Chocolate Crisp in 1937.
3: Zoe? Well, then I'm going to jump on the back of this bandwagon mm. and say that Rolos What's, were... It's not really a bandwagon that's going, <laughs> is it? Wagon it's gonna, meal. It's, it's a jump on the back of this pile-up. Yeah, it's, it's pile-up. A... <laughs> I'm going to take my eye off the road for a second yeah. and go straight into the back of this pile-up and say that Rolos used to be called Chocolate Pockets.
1: No, they oh. they're originally... They were launched as Rolos, in, also in 1937. Where Toblerone's ever no. called. <laughs> I, I, I should, before I answer you, I should say, it is not contractual that any of these things are true.
2: I know that Osman wouldn't do a full list without one truth in there.
1: Well, well Toblerone were not originally Dr Schintzel's <laughs> Chocolate Mountains. They were invented by Theodore Tobler and inspired by a human pyramid of dancers at the Folly Bergère.
4: has actually suddenly made me not want to eat them ever again. I should point out I haven't actually finished the list yet, so. <laughs> <laughs> and Twix were called How on earth can we get anyone to buy this, Dave? It's just two bits of biscuit with like a tiny, tiny bit of chocolate on it. Honestly, I swear this is actually just a biscuit. Let's call it a Twix and hope for the best. I'm not falling for that. <laughs> All right. Another important thing to know about chocolate is that the actor Winona Ryder used to keep a bag of Reese's Pieces in her pajamas because she believed they would help her turn into a magnificent horse in her dreams.
1: <laughs> oh, David! Yes, I thought I was <laughs> thought you were a bit late on that one. No, it's not true. <laughs> it is. It is true. She's a real curveball. Is she Winona. is, isn't she? She is a real curveball. But no, She's got that particular nuttiness. She does not uh, suffer from.
2: I mean, it's
1: a
4: a trick that I I sleep in a leather jacket, so I'm tough in my own dreams. (laughs) Chocolate is one of the most dangerous substances known to man. Eating just 40 bars of dairy milk or three Twixes could kill a person, which makes me wonder how I got through last Christmas. The FBI tried to kill Castro using poisoned hot chocolate. David. I know that dogs, if you give a dog a lot of chocolate, it can
2: kill us. So I'm going to say potentially... 40 bars of dairy milk, that would do you in. That is
1: true. Thank you. (laughs) 22 pounds of chocolate, which is about 40 bars of dairy milk, contains a lethal dose of theobromine, enough to kill a child which is a form of person. So if you are, <laughs> uh, if you are listening and you're feeding your child yeah. dairy milk yeah. right now, stop at 39. <laughs> yeah. If you're a fully grown adult, it would probably take
4: over 100 bars of dairy milk to finish you off. The Nazis tried to kill Winston Churchill with a chocolate bomb and an Austrian woman once tried to murder her husband with a sharpened Toblerone. Chocoholics Anonymous was founded before Alcoholics Anonymous, and good tips for giving up chocolate include buying Twixes or, slightly easier, injecting yourself with lizard saliva. <laughs> Marcus. Oh no! This is really interesting. Which one are you going to go on?
2: The lizard Ooh, yeah. saliva, really?
0: I don't know what I was thinking, but yes, it was so bizarre. Yes, tips for giving up chocolate what, include. I thought, I thought that would win on Reiner and the Reese's
1: Pieces in her pajamas, yeah. Yeah. and I look like a fool now. <laughs> Um, David's going to be very annoyed because you're absolutely right. Ah! (laughs) right. Um, Tests have revealed that a drug made from the saliva of the venomous American gila monster lizard reduces the craving for ordinary
4: food and for chocolate. Different countries have different chocolate delicacies which you might like to avoid. A Filipino chocolate pudding is a stew of pig's organs in pig's blood gravy and an English Twix is an abomination. (laughs) Zoe.
3: The first one with the pig blood. I think I've had something similar on a really bad holiday once.
4: You're right. You're oh. absolutely
1: right. It's yeah. I'm not. I'm, to be honest, I think it's just known as chocolate pudding. I'm not sure it's even got chocolate in it. Its official name is Dinuguan, and it's the
4: Filipino equivalent of black pudding. Yet another important thing to know about chocolate is that the actor, Colin Farrell, used to keep Smarties under his pillow in the hope of bringing Marilyn Monroe back from the dead during the night. Unsuccessful chocolate bar innovations over the years include the of Jesus, an Easter-themed crucifix-shaped treat, (laughs) black and white minstrels, and... ..and the all-new edible Twix. (laughs) Thank you, Richard.
1: (laughs) Um, And at the end of that round, Richard, you've managed to smuggle two truths past the rest of the panel. Which are that the Nazis tried to kill Winston Churchill with a chocolate bomb. The plot was foiled by British spies who discovered the chocolate was being made and tipped off MI5. The second truth is that the actor Colin Farrell used to keep Smarties under his pillow... (laughs) ..in the hope of bringing Marilyn Monroe back from the dead during the night. And that means, Richard, you scored two points. Which brings us to the final scores. In fourth place, with minus five points, we have Zoe Lyons. In third place, with minus four points, it's Marcus Brigstock. In second place, with minus two points, it's David O'Doherty. And in first place, with an unassailable one point, it's this week's winner, Richard Osman. That's about it for this week. Goodbye. The Unbelievable Truth was devised
0: by John Naismith and Graham Garden and featured David Mitchell in the chair with panelists Richard Osman, David O'Doherty, Zoe Lyons and Marcus Brigstock. The chairman's script was written by Dan Gaster and Colin Swash and the producer was John Naismith. It was a random production for BBC Radio 4.